Let me have you do something. If you have tasted that the Lord is good, I want you to stand up. Now, if you're still sitting, then hopefully in about 40 minutes, you will have tasted something of the goodness of the Lord. But let's just offer up a thank offering because he's so good. Thank you, Lord. Now this, is, now, this is what Peter says before he says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Tonight, we're going to get, remember the little cartons of milk you got in elementary school? All right, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna put some milk and straws around. In my day, it was a glass bottle. Noah brought him off the ark. <laughs> Lord God, we're just asking you to let the pure spiritual milk of your word sink down into our lives and do something in us that we are incapable of doing ourselves. But Lord God, by the activity and the power of your word, you are able to do. And we invite you to come and do so. Amen. You may be seated. Last week, we began a series looking at supernatural power and how it can work and be activated in and through our lives. Pastor Jim kind of initiated that series by referencing the prophetic gathering uh, where something had been deposited in the lives of those who attended. And I would say, I believe God intends for what it was deposited to have effect in Grace Covenant Church and in all the churches that were represented. And there were quite a number. Uh, Pastor Jim said that when a flood leaves, that a flood waters leave a high water mark, and that we had we had a high water mark that had been established by that gathering, and we were we were left with the challenge and really the responsibility of saying, now what do we need to do to ensure that what the Holy Spirit deposited and left that mark on the wall, so to speak? How do we continue to draw from that and respond to that in a way that that level will not only not decrease, but actually go forward and increase through us? Supernatural manifestation was the theme of it, the power of the prophetic. And it's to the, that when we, we desire manifestations of the supernatural, because by that, God works with us to fulfill his mandate to extend the kingdom through the demonstration of miracles, healing, power, the very things we were praying for that Miata was leading us in waiting upon tonight. Where you'll, you'll find that we're giving more opportunity to that kind of work of the Holy Spirit, but it's not enough that we just wait and receive. We want to be people through whom that kind of power can operate. And that's why Pastor Jim initiated this, this latest uh, series on contending for the power of God. What we need to do, what we must, how we must posture ourselves, what we can do to strive for, if you will. I mean, and, and, and in some ways it's beyond anything we can do. All we can do is position ourselves and say, God, you come and do in our lives what needs to be done so that you can do through our lives what you want to do. 
And what we're doing tonight is we're inviting that kind of process. And that's some of what I'm going to be addressing. But keep in mind, in Hebrews 6, verses 4 and 5, although the context of that passage is extremely negative, the characteristics of what the people of God or the king, the people of the kingdom are, are filled with is laid out. We are those who have been enlightened. We've been enlightened by the gospel. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God has shone in our hearts and our lives are enlightened as a result. We are those who have tasted of the heavenly gift. We've tasted of new birth. We've been born from heaven. The nature within us is not our nature. It's the nature of Christ now growing up with us and bringing us along into conformity to the nature of himself. And the Holy Spirit is working to bring that about. We are those who share in the Holy Spirit, it says in Hebrews 6, who live with a vital awareness and connection with the presence of God. We gather on Wednesdays, we gather on Sundays in part to reaffirm the fact that we are people of his presence and we do so with worship as well as with the ministry of the word of God, which is the next thing. We've tasted of the good word of God, and finally, we've tasted of the powers of the age to come. And when we strive for the supernatural, what we're striving to do is to step up into the reality and the realization of the birthright we have as children of the kingdom of God, sons and daughters of the kingdom, as Paul says in Philippians, citizens not of the United States, although we are that, and maybe you are a citizen as well of other nations, but our citizenship now is a citizenship in what is heavenly reality. And we are to live informed, defined, guided, directed, and ultimately empowered by that citizenship. You want to know where our loyalty is, that ultimately is where it lies. Powers of the age to come is what we're seeking more of in our midst. Last week, as I said, Pastor Jim began looking. He introduced this whole notion, which I'm going to continue on tonight, of preparing the soil for the supernatural. He began looking at the condition of the soil of our hearts that opens up and yields to the supernatural. Part of this was generated by Pastor Jim LaFoon's message where he talked about, you know, we always think of faith as being the dynamic for the supernatural, but when you look at some of the things Jesus alluded to, and in keeping with Pastor Jim LaFoon, I think, or Pastor Jim Critcher, Elisha and Elijah, I think, are the only two prophets he knows in the whole, in the whole Bible. <laughs> He will come back to those two on any occasion. He just wants to talk about Elijah and Elisha, and rightly so. But, if, but the thing that he said is you look at the miracles those men worked, they did not work miracles with people who believed. And that was the whole point he was making. That was the thing Jim LaFoon touched on. And Pastor Jim Critcher came back and developed last week. He said they were, he said one of the common denominators of soil that is ready for the supernatural, that is yielded and open and, and, and receptive, is the soil, is soil that is in need and consequently humble. And this was what he touched on last week. 
He says, he said, we're, we, uh, he looked at humility. Humility is, and this is a quote from him, humility is the essential characteristic of soil that draws God's activity, draws God's activity. It's a magnet for God's activity. Humility. It says, humility recognizes things in truth, the way they really are, that brings us to the end of ourselves. You'll remember his message if you were here. If you haven't heard it, go back and listen to it. And he, then he began to unpack, I believe it was the story of King Josiah. They were surrounded by, by armies coming to attack Judah, and they didn't know what to do, and their eyes were fixed on, and they had complete yieldedness to the Lord and humility. And that was, he said, part of the condition of the soil that draws the supernatural. Well, he said, Duke, I want you to continue on that same thing, and I want you to look at another condition of the soil. But before I get into the particular thing that I want to look at, I want to kind of touch on a couple of different things, starting with this analogy of farming. If we're going to talk about soil preparation, then I don't know a darn thing about it, but I knew some farmers back in Kansas. <laughs> and one of the things years ago that I heard about that I thought was such a, an interesting perspective was that there is a thing called hard pan, which can be a problem when farming and gardening are done, because what hard pan is, is, a, is an unbroken layer of earth that begins to be created when the layer of earth above it is regularly plowed and regularly watered and the roots go down to that level of dirt that, or that level of the soil, but it never goes down deeper and there's something hard that develops. It's called hard pan. And he said, farmers will go in periodically and they have to break up that hard pan. And, and they have to do what is deep plowing. And they use one of these. It's called a, now I love this, it's called a chisel plow. And it's expressly designed to break up the hard pan. It goes down into that layer of dirt and it turns it over so that the water and the roots can go down deeper than they have been able to. The roots of the nature of God within us can extend down where they haven't yet gone, and the water of his life and ministry can soak down into areas that has been untouched up to this point. Isn't that cool? Good night. I'm <laughs> I'll just drop it. I'll leave you that. What does, what, oh, I, I now, you, you wish that left then. What does, hard, what does hard pan of the heart look like? It looks like limited expectations and self-satisfaction. We're used to, we're used to the, the, the word going in. We're used to it taking root. We're used to the water coming. We're used to some degree of fruit coming up. And we do this over and over and over again. And we become self-satisfied with it uh, we understand our understanding only reaches just so far we think we've you know we read our bible every day and you know it says about the same thing today it said last year at this time and last time i read all the way through it it said about the same time the time before that and our understanding is somewhat fixed 
We become passive, we become complacent, and we can even become unbelieving. Because, hey, I've been there, I've done that, and I've got the t-shirts. And that's our Christian experience. God plows us with circumstances, and he plows us with now words, now words from him, Maybe it's a command. Don't you love the ones where God just shows up one day and says, I want you to stop doing that. I want you to turn off your television. And you know it's God. It's not you being religious. It's not, and you don't do it for about three months. Because you know that can't be God. And then you start rationing it. A little bit here, a little bit, you know, you, you, I'll trim it down. But the point is, God's wanting to plow something up by giving you a commandment that requires you to do something that's beyond the norm. Or he may give, you, he may give us revelation. He may give us new experiences or encounters. It's not always bad. But these things intend to break up what has become hardened. When that happens, we need to invite this work of God into our lives. The soil has to cooperate. I was, in, I was in a meeting the other day, and I realized the vine doesn't prune itself. The soil doesn't plow itself. But when the plow comes, we don't want to be found to be rocky soil that resists the plow. That's a whole other topic about rocks coming up, but we can, and that'll be for another time. But the Another one, the only other thing I know about farming. But <laughs> the, thing that, the thing that we want to understand here is that as the soil of our hearts receives the plow, the chisel plow of the word of God, the commandment of God, the God-ordained circumstances of life, we want to be soil that recognizes this is for our good. This is going to break up the hard pan that needs breaking up. It's going to let something go down and let me let something in me go down deeper in Christ, with Christ, and allow the water of the Spirit and his life to reach down and enrich and water things that have been up to now untouched. So we, for our part, need to embrace it. I believe this is something, this chisel plow word is what came to us in the prophetic gathering. See, it's interesting. You go back and listen to the you go back and listen to the, the, to the ministry from that time. You get Pastor Brett talking about the olive press. You get Pastor Chris Johnson talking about being stuck. You talk here about Don L. Jones talking about what do you need to close the door on and just get before God with and believe Him. Those are hard things to do. It's far easier to come tonight or any day and just say, Lord, I'm here, I need, would you please meet me? But I think what God's wanting is he's wanting a people by crook or by crook, so to speak, that, that seek him and recognize what he's saying, recognize what he's doing, and are doing their level best to be responsible and responsive to him. What's the end of this, our aim for this? It's that we become better disciples. Now, I'm going to talk about something else that's a little, that's kind of new to me, and I want to commend it to you, and then I want to quickly get into what, what I, this business of compassion. This is a quote from a, really it was a quote in a book 
and it's kind of a quote from that book, and then this guy quotes, and the, the length of this is from a gentleman by a pastor by the name of Greg Allison. But listen to this, a book called Sojourners and Strangers. He says this, if a disciple is one who follows and bears witness to Christ, then the, then the goal of discipleship must be Christ-likeness. How's that for profound? Okay, you're with me so far. And Christ-likeness is a holistic notion. It's comprehensive. Including, and this is the part that's interesting, not only right belief, but also right practice and right sentiment. Followers of Christ should be characterized by orthodoxy, which is sound doctrine. They should be characterized by orthopraxis, which is right practice. And followers of Christ must exude orthopatheia, proper sentiment. Now, help me, let's, let's let this soak in for just a moment. We are not only to hold to the truth and, and right belief that we've received from Christ, but we're to act in conform, and we're to act in conformity to Christ's rule, but we are also to express the affections of Christ. Yeah, very good. We're, to we're to bring what we're to bring out of our lives something of the character, the nature, the emotion, if you will, that Jesus brought. In other words, our discipleship is not just to get oriented to what's true and to live in proper response to that truth, which is our practice of, of being truth tellers, being faithful, being uh, good on the whole in the things, not, not excellent, I'm not talking, but good to others, right practice, but we are also to have right sentiment. So what is, what is this business of, uh, I'm just, I'm putting this out because this really does add a critical dimension for us. And it's very much in keeping with what Pastor Jim Critcher in, invited us to consider when he said, let's look at the soil that invites the supernatural. It isn't just soil that's, that's, that's rich with faith. It's soil that's rich with the sentiment or the heart of Christ himself. Tonight, I'm going to look at the sentiment of compassion in the few minutes that we have here as expressed by Christ. Clearly, this posture, this, this way of relating to people, this, this thing that Jesus came already fully, already cocked and loaded with, of what we call compassion, is something that as his disciples, we're to download into our lives. We look at Jesus and we say, wow, how did he ever respond to that? I want to suggest that scripture and a lot of Jesus' teaching is aimed at getting at this very thing of us becoming, having the same kind of affections, not emotions, not, not affection as love, an emotion of love, but affections, the whole range of how we relate to people. Well, let me, let me, let me define sentiment here. I started to Sentiment is the attitude or regard we have towards something. It's a mental feeling or affection that goes beyond emotion. 
And thought, it's a thought influenced by or proceeding from emotion, a thought proceeding from emotion that is intended to be conveyed by words and actions. So it's not just saying, oh, I feel badly for you. But there's something in the sentiment of Christ-likeness that identifies with you, that responds out of something deeper than just sympathy which is legitimate. And for most of us, that's as far as it goes down in us. And I think Jesus wants to learn, wants us to have our soil plowed up so that something can go deeper in us of his nature so something richer can come out of us. And what we find is when the richness of true compassion comes out, miracles happen. My first example Mark chapter 1, familiar story, verse 40 to 42. And a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity. The Greek word there is the word we have as compassion. I understand that word, it's a strange word. The word literally means bowels. It's an image word that basically described an an emotional or a a sentiment, but where it drew up from. And in in Hebrew thought, it was out of the deepest inward parts of the body, the bowels, that these things emanated from. In other words, they had depth in what they were coming from and drawing from. That's why in the King James Version, you'll find, be filled with bowels of mercy you ever those of you who've ever been in the king james you'll read words like that and that that's quite that's really colorful (laughs) but it's a literal translation of what the greek word is getting at and it says this in mark one it says that moved with pity drawing up from the depths of who he was as a man as a human being and as the son of god He stretched out his hand. He didn't even think. His first response was to touch the man. My God, I was a leper. You didn't touch lepers in that day. Medically, it's been since found out you didn't catch leprosy that way anyway. But the point is, his compassion, his thought and emotion drawn up from the depths of his being wanted to immediately touch the man to convey the fact that he genuinely cared, and then he spoke the word of healing, and the man was cleansed. There was something in the soil of the nature of Christ. Now, we, we say, well, of course it was Jesus. No, 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 no. We're disciples. That's to be in our soil, too. We're learning how to be conformed into the likeness of Christ in all aspects, three-dimensional, You with me? The story reveals something reaching beyond orthopraxis. Jesus wasn't just doing good. Did you get this? You see what we're doing here? We're looking at something that goes deeper. And the contention here is this. 
the supernatural is released when you go deeper. When it comes out of something deeper, you have a, there's an increased capacity. It can be an increased expectation, an increased possibility that the power of God will move because it's drawn by that which is like Christ. The point is this. We have here a revealing of God's nature that is to further form us by growing Christ's nature up in us. We look at that miracle and we thought, my Lord. And we oftentimes, I know I have, most often we miss what Jesus was revealing about himself that is intended to affect us. We readily expect his work on the cross is a revelation of his mercy and reconciliation. And we got all that. That's orthodoxy. We got that. We readily recognize that when he does this or does that, that that's an expression of his goodness. And we expect that these things are to affect us and be revelation to us that we begin to shape ourselves into alignment with that same thing. And now... The Holy Spirit, I think, would come back and say, oh, okay, you wanted, you liked it up to that point, and you're looking for something supernatural, then let's look at where Jesus was coming from and how he did life. And why not, how about the revelation of what that's to con- bring into conformity in our lives? The plow breaks up the hard pan, what's expected. Grasping this dimension of orthopatheia is part of God's revelation of himself to us, every bit as much as what he teaches us or commands us to do. It is this inward motivational element, this sentiment that is to be formed in us, the sentiment here of compassion. We need to learn to see with God's heart and act accordingly. We need to learn to see with the heart of God, or if you will, see from the heart of God and act accordingly. Second example, very similar to the first, same word used, the feeding of the 5,000. I'm skipping over something in 2 Corinthians that is good, but I don't have time to, to unpack it here. In Mark chapter 6, verse 34 to 44, we read this, when he went ashore, He saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. Same word. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He saw their condition. And he began to teach them. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and the villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii? That's 200 days wages, two-thirds of an annual salary of loaves and give it to them to eat. I don't think they were asking if they should do that. I think that was a rhetorical question. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Five and two fish, they responded. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. And broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. 
and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. I want to suggest that this act is partly his response of compassion to the people who didn't have a shepherd. And he was trying to draw his disciples into responding the same way. Now, the disciples, you know, hey, I can relate. They came to this place to get away from the crowds. That's why Jesus had them there. Let's say, let's go find some rest. We haven't been able to get a square meal together. Let's just go to a place. And when they got there, the crowds were already there. It had been a long day. And no doubt they themselves were hungry. Probably one of them said, now, when did the conference order a service say the dinner break was going to be? I mean, that was the kind of thinking we would relate to now. Their solution was in purely natural terms, appropriate to their natural assessment. They may have thought this was sound orthopraxis. Hey, they were caring for the people. Hey, Jesus, we got to, you know, these guys are tired. Let's let them go. They, to their, at their level, were caring for the people. But Jesus related to them out of something deeper. Jesus saw it from the heart of God. He was moved for these people, and his being moved, in his being moved, he responded with the virtue of God, the power of God's goodness, God's generosity, and God's kindness. Because he empathized with the people, because he had this kind of, 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 this kind of response to their condition, he was also aware that there were absolutely unlimited resources to bring to bear on this situation. And he knew that the father cared about what he cared about, and he began to say, then let's do something about this. And I'm, I'm convinced he was trying and doing what he's doing here with us. He was wanting to bring his disciples into a like view, a like regard Jesus saw it from the heart of God and he was moved for these people. True compassion releases virtue. Generosity, kindness, compassion. Compassion stoops down to make great. Because compassion sees the condition of the one who is down here and stoops down to make them great. And when you stoop down, when the compassionate man or woman stoops down, who is doing so because they're wanting to conform their lives, because they're asking the Lord to conform their lives to his nature, then they begin to be aware and they begin to have a confidence there's unlimited resources with which to draw from. And the thing that limits us at that point oftentimes is just we, don't, we may not believe that. The response born of compassion is not measured, it's not bounded by regard for anything other than the care and well-being of the one who is the focus of compassion. I'm convinced that Christ's point in the Sermon on the Mount, I've thought a lot about, the, and I'm sure we all have, about the first parts of the Sermon on the Mount, where he commands, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, what are you supposed to do? Let him have your cloak also. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go two. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow. The context for these, these verses 
is one of responding with an open-handed, unbridled generosity uh, that's reflected in turn the other cheek. Now, I don't believe that Jesus was giving a second law here. I don't think these are rules we're supposed to go down to check off. I think he was exposing the difference between the heart of God and our heart. And in doing so, was inviting us and, and, and suggesting that we invite the deep plow to come in and break up some ground. That how we've related to things in our own understanding, in our own reasoning, often it cuts us off from seeing the generosity and the vast supply of the Father's love for the people that we're dealing with. But we need our hearts broken up. We need something softened. We need the water to go down deeper than it has. And this isn't an option. Colossians 3.12 says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. So obviously this isn't just something we're supposed to hear on a message like tonight and say, you know, that would really be cool. No, there's something that we are to embrace. He goes on in that passage in Colossians to say, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. A compassionate people who are in Christ will be a people who see God's power working through them. A compassionate people will be a people who see the power of God working through them. And now let me close with this. In Acts 3, 1 through 8, the healing of the lame man in the temple, there's no reference at all to compassion. There's no bowels of mercy references here. There's nothing like that. But what's so interesting was John and Peter's response to a deeply needy person. And in that situation as well, they didn't have any resources, just like when he broke the bread for the 5,000. But this time, something had gotten plowed in their hearts. Now, it doesn't say they looked at the man with compassion. I wish it had. That really fit my sermon well. It just said they looked at the man. Now, they may have been looking to see if he had any faith. I don't know. But it says they regarded the man and they turned to him and they said, we don't have any money, but here's what we have. I want to suggest that it it marked something of the deep plowing that had gone on in their lives. And they and us are to come into that same kind of reality. It's something that to be worked down inside of us. Well, let me lead us in prayer. I'm just going to go through four points here just to close this out. Uh, Maybe it goes, it shouldn't go without saying, but if you're here tonight and this is really the first time you've heard about a Jesus who would actually work in people's lives like this and you do not know that Jesus, then as we pray, I want you to, and I'll even, I'll lead us in just saying, Lord, we ask you to come. Just bow your heart. Bow your hearts, yes, and bow your heads. And let's just, let's just take a moment and pray through two or three things and we'll close. First of all, Lord Jesus, if there is anyone here tonight who needs the compassionate touch of your presence to make things right that have been wrong for as long as they can remember, to reach into the depths and to bring something that they didn't, they, do, they didn't even know until the night when they got a glimmer of it that it was even possible to experience or to know. Lord, would you come 
into that person's heart, into that person's life. Lord, for us who are here who know you, we ask you, Lord God, to grow up your nature in us. Lord, let the sentiments of your heart, sentiments like humility and compassion, deep care, kindness, let these things be more deeply rooted in our lives. Lord, we welcome the chisel plow to break up what needs breaking up. And God, we don't pray that lightly. But we ask you, Lord God, make the soil of our lives more receptive. Let the chisel plow of this now word about the supernatural among us go deep to break up what is dull, unbelieving, unexpectant, and dry in us. Lord, we confess, I certainly confess, that I could find a dozen reasons based on my own experience and lack of experience to say, are we really going to talk about the supernatural again? Because so often we've talked about it and not seen a lot come from it. That doesn't change the fact that the Holy Spirit can use that word to break up something afresh in our lives and make us more yielded and more sensitive and more uh, available to the supernatural to work. Lord, let the chisel plow of this now word go to work in our hearts. Lord, help us to see the heart of God and to perceive from your heart those who are around us. Open our eyes, God. We may not know what to do, it may, but our hearts do need to be touched. They do need to be touched. And we do need to begin to wrestle with what does it look like to let the compassion of Christ be ministered through us. And Lord, help us to dare to step out in faith, extending that which we don't see ourselves as having, but generously giving and sowing. Lord, it's not a measured by what we have or what we see ourselves as having. It's measured by what you open up to us and begin to bring revelation into our lives and allow us to respond to and to give out of in faith. So God, take this word. Thank you for it. Lord, help us to be men and women who not only believe the right things and act the right way, but Lord, our very affections are shaped in conformity with Christ. Amen.